Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 80. I'm Killian Vigna. And I'm Zoe Bilal Springer. This week on the show, we're joined by Jared Roberts, a New York-based hairstylist and global artist for Bar & Co. and also represented by The Wolf. For the next 30 minutes or so, you'll be hearing about his journey in the hair and beauty industry as well as how he started working on Fashion Weeks, events well-recognized for being some of the most prestigious. So, grab yourself a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and join us weekly for all your salon's business and marketing needs. Good morning, Zoe. Good morning, Killian. And it's funny saying that because it, for the first time since January, so how many months <laughs> is that now? Six months. Six months, yeah. Six months. Um, Zoe's actually in, yeah, we're reunited. We're reunited we're both in, in the studio here together <laughs> because uh, Joey, 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 Joey? Oh, see, yeah. I even forgot your name at this stage. <laughs> Zoe works in Canada and I'm based here in Dublin and you're actually over for our six month AGM, company AGM. So. Yeah. So. <laughs> so what's the story? What's the story? Uh, so listen, I've been so now back in, in Dublin just this morning, but about two weeks ago, I was in New York City and we chatted about that with the Modern Salon Artist Session yep. Influencer Series. And um, so as you might already know, for anyone listening, we were co-sponsoring the event uh, with Great Lengths USA and r Co. Um, and our guest today actually works with r Co, um, Jared Roberts. And so I met him at that session. And he had an education segment on this one technique. Like I was saying, explaining in the previous episodes, they, everyone had an, a bit of a education segment on a certain technique that they'd use in their kind of day-to-day life. And so I just had to walk up to him and just go and ask him more about Like he did mention something about fashion weeks. And I was like, ooh, how did he get into that? Yeah. I just had to walk up to him at the end. And so I did. And here we are today. Welcome to the show, Jared. I'm delighted you <laughs> accepted my invitation to be on Forest FM. <laughs> it's, it's a great pleasure to have you. Well, thank you for having me. This is, uh, it was really wonderful to, to meet you at the event. And I was really excited when you asked me to do this. So um, I'm excited to kind of talk about my journey a little bit. Yeah, because you were on your way out when I actually walked up to you. Yeah. So we didn't actually get to chat loads about it. It's going to be a surprise for both Killian and I. Yeah, like <laughs> all I know is uh, getting a phone call from Zoe after the event. Now, this is like with New York time. So it's about six <laughs> hour time difference here. And I'm getting a phone call off Zoe going, you'll never guess who I've just met. We have to get him on the show. It's going to be great. It's going to be so chill. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going, Zoe, it's look at the time. <laughs> so, Too excited. So yeah, um, I'm excited to actually hear a little bit about you and your your story, Jared. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we were chatting um, about this, you and I, but R and Co being under the LBP umbrella, what does it stand for? Why was it important for you guys to be at the Modern Salon uh, Artist Session Influencer Series? Um, so R and Co is an artist-driven brand, and our main channel of distribution is through salons, and so we focus on connecting with hairdressers who are in the salon. Uh, we the idea is to have products that can be used for all text, all hair textures, all hair types. Uh, we use them in our day to day lives on set for fashion week. We develop them because we just want people to be able to use them. But because our primary distribution is through salon channels, we try to 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 be involved in these events. Uh, with like modern salons so that we can get the products in front of hairdressers. We can talk about what it is we do. The idea is like the culture of hairdressing. That's what the brand is built upon. 
And for anyone not so familiar with Oranco products, are they exclusive through the salon or could anyone buy these products? So uh, LBP has decided to do some really interesting um, methods of distribution. One of the things that we did uh, that initially was controversial but made so much sense when I sat down with uh, the president and talked about it was we decided to partner with Amazon. And so you can actually buy the products directly from Amazon.com, but they're coming from R&Co as a whole. So that way there um, is no diversion or like price undercutting. So you're not going to – that way it doesn't delegitimize you buying the products at the salon because it's at the same price point. So you, Oranco, are the only supplier of Oranco products pretty much? Yes. Yeah, yes. Because and even on Amazon, it's still Oranco. Yes. Um, and then we have, we partner with distributors in uh, the Northeast, and I think they're opening up some of the Western markets in the US. We have a distributor in the UK. Uh, we're opening up various parts of Europe. We have a distributor in Australia. Um, so it is kind of available worldwide at this point. Uh, we, you know, the the company as a whole is doing astronomical numbers that we did not foresee happening for years down the road. People really enjoy the brand. People really enjoy the idea behind the brand. Um, the idea behind the brand is essentially three very, very different hairdressers, Darren, Tom Priano, and Howard McLaren got together and decided that they wanted to make hair products for hairdressers. And so uh, Darren's got a very classic style. Tom is men's and very lifestyle. And Howard used to be, was with Bumble and Bumble back in the day and used to be the creative director for Bumble. So they all kind of came together and they've got really different styles, but it kind of encompasses all of like modern hairdressing, if you will. Okay, makes sense. So R&Co is four years old, You, I think you were mentioning, and you were saying that you'd been with them since, what, three years and a half now? Yeah, three, three and a half. I, I came in right at about the six-month mark. Um, and I, I came in through Garen. I, I started as Garen's assistant and I was, I've been he and Tom Priano's assistant for the last um, three and a half years. And I, I just kind of left them in March to, to go start my own thing. But I'm still, we still work together on R&Co all the time. Um, and I work with them to kind of help translate their vision into something that we can get in front of, of hairdressers with the education that R&Co puts out into the field. So I came in with Garen and I and I we worked a bunch of events for R&Co specifically and then as I got to have conversations with uh, the people who ran the education department and kind of the the senior management of the company we realized that that sort of my background fit really well into the scheme of like R and co education. So they kind of asked me to come in with and also separate from Garen to start being more involved in the brand. And so I've, I've initially been involved with them since they were about six months old. Cool. So still, still just as a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little startup. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now we're a toddler. So Jared, um, let's just take it back. I suppose we'll take it a good bit back because we're really interested to see, your whole journey, not into just kind of the hairdressing life, 
but also how fashion weeks came about. So do you want to just take it back to the start? Like what, what initially got you into the area of hairdressing? So how I got into hairdressing, it was kind of an accident, actually. I um, did sports medicine in high school. And, and for a long time, I thought that's what I, I know. I know. <laughs> that, that was literally the last thing that I was expecting. That is not what I expected at <laughs> yeah, all. <no. laughs> I really thought that's what I was going to go into. And like the end of my senior year, I was like, this is not what I want to do. But I had a really close relationship with my, with, well, she was my hairdresser, but she was my mom's hairdresser. And, um, I would like, my mother would literally call me out of school so that I could go into town and get my hair done to come back. <laughs> like I was obsessed with my hair at a very early age. Um, I got highlights for the first time at like 14. I grew my hair out. I was like the only guy in my school with like long hair, uh, when I was like 16, 17, and it was, uh, her name was Kathleen and Kathleen actually was the one who suggested that I get into the, the industry. She was like, look, you love being here. You love being in the salon. She's like, I think you'd be really, really good at this. Have you ever thought about it? And at that point I hadn't. And I, I talked to my mom and I was like, mom, I don't know. Like, I don't really want to do the college thing. And, and come to find out, like my mother actually wanted to be a hairdresser and my her parents kind of dissuaded her from doing it. And so she went in, in like a different direction. But when I approached her and I said, I think I want to do this, she was very, very supportive. She was like, cool, go ahead and do it. And um, my dad was is a tradesman. Um, and he was like, look, son, you'll always have a way to make money. You'll always have a way to take care of yourself. I think it's a great idea. So uh, I decided to go to beauty school. And I, I ended up going to a community college uh, trade program. It was a, called uh, Central New Mexico Community College. Went there, went through their uh, cosmetology program. Uh, it was an associate's degree program, but what was great is that I was able to pay my way through school. And there was like a scholarship that, that paid for um, most of it. So I was able to actually get out of beauty school debt-free, which was huge, you know? That's amazing, nice. yeah. Like, everybody's heard so many stories about leaving school in the U.S. so in debt. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, yeah. But I do have to say, I was the world's worst beauty school student. I was horrible. <laughs> I so? never wanted to go to class. I never wanted, like, a perm would come in and I would, like, go hide I would go hide in the massage facial room and be like, I'm out here. And I remember my the director of the school was like, look, if I can just get you out of here, he's like, I know you're going to be one of the most successful people I've ever put through this program, but like, you got to get out of here. He was like, you got to just go. And I didn't, <laughs> I, you know, I was, I was busy doing other things and I was young and I was crazy. And, um, yeah, so it was a two-year associate's degree program, which took me three and a half years to get through. And uh, but once I got out, then then I, you know, things kind of got a little easier. So, like, you're now represented by the Wall Group, uh, which you were explaining to me. It's uh, an artist agency. Like, what is it exactly, and what does like now? What does a day in your shoes look like? The Wall Group is essentially a hair and makeup agency. 
and they represent uh, hair, makeup, styling, and and people that work. It's a combination of fashion. It's a combination of celebrity. It's it's also magazine work. It's working with partnering with brands, um, and they essentially manage my my schedule, my bookings, and they help kind of determine my career trajectory. We work together to sort of figure out what it is that that I want from my career, and they help um, they help manage that and get me exposure. And uh, it's 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 really actually amazing. It's the it's it's what I moved to New York to eventually do was eventually be signed by a big hair and makeup agency. So that happened about two weeks ago. Yeah, congrats. I remember you Thank telling you. me over the phone. Yeah. I'm I'm just curious now. Like most people that I've been chatting to, they their kind of general chat is about opening their own salon. Why was that never something you wanted to get into? Um so I'm I was in the salon for many years. So I went right into the salon after I got out of beauty school. I was in the salon for about eight and a half years. And then uh, after I got to New York, I started assisting freelance um, editorials and celebrity hairdressers. And so I would, I was always out of the salon and I, I love and appreciate and, and highly, highly value the salon world. I still work out of a salon in Tribeca, actually, that a that a really dear friend of mine owns. And um, but for for me, I do really well with like a, re- a changing schedule. I like having different things to do. I ch- I love to travel. I love, um, even though it's very difficult sometimes. I really love like a. 6 a.m. call where I'm, you know, up at four and running through the city and get set up and you get somebody ready for a press day or you get somebody or you're on set for a fashion shoot and you get there and you get the girl prepared. And I just like the the variety of it. That was what kind of drew me to it was that it was always something different. And it was it was really cool. I got to work with really interesting people. Um uh, you know, people in the fashion industry are just some of the most interesting characters I've ever met. And uh, I just love the variety, basically. Yeah, literally every single day is different for you. <laughs> some things, yeah. So what I just wanted to ask off the back of it, so we know you got represented by Wall Group, but there was one thing that you just mentioned at the end of it about going to New York. So like, how exactly was it? you became represented by wall group. Do you think moving to New York contributed towards that? Oh yes. Yes. Um, so I can, I'll, I'll just give you the, the like abridged version of the story. Um, I, after I got out of beauty school, I went into an Aveda salon in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it was the, the biggest salon in the state. They had a really good education program. That's what drew me to them was that I, I knew um, that I didn't know what I was doing and I wanted to go somewhere that was going to teach me to be good at, at hair. Um, so I, I was with them for about five years. And the last year that I was there, they brought in a color education program called Red Chocolate. And Red Chocolate was formed by David Adams and Virginia Meyer, who both used to be, David used to be the creative director 
for Aveda and Virginia used to be the vice president of education. And they kind of left Aveda and formed their own company that would come in and work with colorists and management for um, salons to help improve their color revenue. Uh, so David would work with the, with the, the artists and, and the hairdressers and kind of teach them it was color theory, it was uh, looking at your waist, it was um, looking to increase, uh, you know, how to sell home care without selling, like like owning your place behind the chair. And David and I just kind of hit it off from right off the bat uh, after the first, so it was like three weekends that we would do it separated by two weeks, right? So it was a six-week program. And after the first one, I, I received an email from David basically saying, hey, um, we've got this project we're doing. We were wondering if you'd want to be involved. Um, and I said, yes, of course. And so they flew me to Minneapolis and we shot essentially a commercial that um, promoted their company. And the, the video is on Vimeo and it's called I Am Red Chocolate. And David and I, as a result of doing this, became friends on this, on this shoot. And after it was done, I sat him down. And I had been thinking about this for a while. I, I had been very successful in Albuquerque, but I did not see the rest of my career staying in a, a smaller market. Um, I loved being behind the chair, but I also knew that, that I kind of wanted to do something different. So um, David kind of being an authority... I, I asked him, I said, you know, I have really been thinking about fashion and I really love that there is this opportunity to do like shows and magazines and um, how, do I, how do I get there? Um, if there's a plug that I can make for, any, for anybody in this business, uh, if you're starting out, the way I got to where I, I am at now is by having conversations with people that I respect. And asking them to coffee and being like, how do I get to where you are? And, or how do I get here from where I'm at? So David essentially was like, well, if you want to do that, you got to move to New York. Uh, so I booked a ticket to New York like a month later. Um, with a return had, or no return? This one was with a return because I <laughs> wanted to go look at, I, I wanted to feel it out. I wanted to look at salons. I wanted to see how I could, how I could get here. Right. And so, uh, I researched a bunch of salons. I went around and like put in, um, uh, put in applications, talked to managers, pulled people, you know, I would show up and be like, Hey, is your hiring manager here? Can I talk to them? Tell them a little bit about me. And David actually, uh, connected me to Rodney Cutler, and Rodney owns Cutler Salon. They have like uh, three or four locations in Manhattan. And Rodney and I sat down and I said, this is what I want to do. And he was like, okay, cool. Um, if you come out here, uh, I'll give you a job, but we're going to start you out as an assistant. And I, you know, <laughs> after that was like a thing, right? I'm like, oh my, What? <laughs> And yeah. so after having a career for and being in the salon and being very successful for about five years, I had a full book, I made a lot of money, um, but I knew that this was what I wanted to do. And the reason why I wanted to go with Cutler was because they had such a big fashion week presence. 
So in New York, they do anywhere between 15 and like 30 shows a season. And so I knew that I would be able to get exposure into the world I wanted to be in by being there. So uh, I went back to Albuquerque. I like moved back in with my parents for a couple months. I put a ton of money away and I basically sold everything that I owned and took two suitcases. I bought a one-way ticket to um, to New York. And this month is actually six years for me in the city. Oh, my God. Congrats. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. How do you find the life? Like, like, is it that different? But are you happy? Yes. Yes. And it is so different than, I mean, the, just the pace of the city is different from where I came from. But... Um, with what I do, it's interesting because so much of what I do actually comes from the skill set that I learned in the salon. Um, it's still working with people, even though these people may be uh, a lot more visible than, you know, uh, your client, my clients in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's still like higher profiles, client profiles. I mean, I'm working with, with, celebrities and models and and you know very very public figures um but the 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 essentially what you're doing is the same you're taking care of somebody you're making somebody feel beautiful you're um there's there's always going to be that kind of psychiatrist element to it where you're listening to somebody's problems and you're and you're like lending a sympathetic ear and it's never, and it's not about me. I mean, it wasn't about me in the salon and it's not about me in this job. It really is about the client always. And do you think with that attitude, it's helped you kind of get the exposure to the clients that you have? Like, I suppose some people might think, oh, it'd be starstruck or anything like that. At the end of the day for you, this is your job. I think that part of the reason why I'm good at what I do and why I'm why this job is good for me is because I don't get particularly starstruck. I I do and I do treat whoever's in my chair as a person who's in my chair. You know, I um my experience with high profile celebrities, models, whatever is that they they appreciate being treated as a person. And if you are allowed into their world in this capacity, you can't you can't be weird. Otherwise, you don't last. If you come in and you're like, "Oh my god, I'm such a big fan. I love you. Like, can I take a photo with you?" Um, and that will eventually happen. I mean, social media is a huge part of what we do now, and and there is a, a sort of social give and take there. Um, but it comes with respect. So you never felt kind of, I suppose, oh, the pressure is on dealing with a certain client initially. Like I know your professionalism builds up and stuff like those, but when you first started experiencing this this level of clientele, was there ever? Um, I no every every job every client I have a a level of pressure, and you know I thought I was. I thought I was unique in that. And then I worked with Garen and, and Garen is, you know, had a 40 year career that, that is just spans so much. He's got a thousand covers of Vogue and like all this, uh, he's done absolutely everybody and worked for absolutely everyone. And he's 
so talented and so professional, but to be on the other side and to like prepare for these jobs with him and realize that he has his own version of this and that that's like a natural part of the process. Um, and that I think it comes from a place of just caring about what you do and wanting to put out good work. Um, so every client that I have, I get nervous about and I do my research and I've got pictures and I've got ideas of where I'm going, but I still step in going like, I don't know what the hell's going to happen. Like, it's so funny. I, I am constantly proving to myself that I know how to do hair because I will like, my mind sometimes goes blank prior to a client. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but then I get there and it all, it's almost like it, it comes through me and not from me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were mentioning then you start working as an assistant when you moved into New York. How did that go? How was your journey from there going to working on the Fashion Week? <laughs> um, being an assistant was so hard in New York. It was one of the most I, – I will say uh, this whole journey has – that part specifically was um, – developed a lot of humility right? Like I needed a lot of humility to go in, give up a career I already had, start over as an assistant, realize that nobody cared how long I had done hair. Nobody cared that I had like had this whole clientele in Albuquerque. They're like, yeah, but you haven't done hair in New York. And um, it's like a rite of passage, essentially. Uh, so when I started in, in at the salon in New York, there were Really crazy hours. I was there every morning at like 7.30. I didn't get off until like 7.30 or 8. Most nights it was sweeping floors. It was washing towels, um, taking care of three or four stylists at the same, five stylists at the same time, um, picking up clients that were coming out of the color department and blow drying them so that they could go out um, into the, you know, back into their world. And it was it was grueling and then what what was so great about the way cutler's education was set up is that you got trained while you were an assistant so every monday we would do class every thursday we would do blow dry class in the morning before you came into work so i would be in the salon at like 7 a.m do a blow dry model then go and work a full day um on mondays they were they were strictly education, so you would bring in your haircut models, but you'd have to get haircut models. So you'd have to figure out how to find people, like pull them off the street, say, hey, I like your hair. Would you be willing to get a free haircut? Bring them in. There were like seven haircuts you learned with scissors. Then you went back and did seven different haircuts with a straight razor. And then there was like like three to six months of like creative training with the creative director and the head of education. And eventually you go through all of that and you get put on the floor. Um, but what's cool is every six months fashion week would happen in New York. And when that happened, um, the whole salon would get like really excited. All these hairdressers would come in from around the country who worked with Cutler and you'd get like sent out on different shows throughout the day. So you'd like be in the salon in the morning and then you'd have a like one o'clock call time. So at noon you'd leave, you'd run to the location, you'd do this show and then you'd like go back in the salon and like for a whole week, sometimes you would do two or three shows a day. 
Um, you get to assist different hairdressers. You get to like learn different things, see all different types of, um, you know, hairstyles that are that are done for Fashion Week. Um, it's really, really exciting, and I I don't think I will ever forget my first Fashion Week. Jeez, that sounds like so much fun, but also so stressful at the same time. <laughs> when do you get time to yeah. eat? Sleep. <laughs> the most important I mean, thing on my head there was when does he eat? <laughs> you know, it's that it's that like hairdresser lunch where it's like I've got five minutes between this client. I'm going to scarf down this burrito and then like run back out on the floor. So, what age are you at this stage now? When I know you were saying you need a lot of humility to work as an assistant and stuff, and then moving into the fashion weeks. How old were you just to kind of get a, a gauge? I was. I just turned 27 when I moved to New York. So that is like that. That's an age where you feel like you're walking into New York on. I'm old enough now to get a top job here. 27. Uh, I, you know, that sometimes I wish I would have been able to do it sooner. Um, I just, what, you know, I had some wild oats to sow and I needed, I, I really think I needed that experience in, um, uh, New Mexico prior to be able to go to New York. Um, Cause I know some people who come out at like 18 and start assisting in a salon. I, for me, that was when I felt like I was ready to do something. And now, you know, I, so I did the, I did like three and a half years at Cutler and then this opportunity with Garen came about. So I was always leaving the salon to do, um, to go assist on fashion shoots. And I was like assisting anybody and everybody who I could. And I knew who Garen's assistant was. And I, I, yes, yes. I mean, you could call it stalking. You could call it research. Like (laughs) I knew who everybody's assistant was because I knew that that was the position that I wanted. Um, And the reason why I knew that is because I was actually able to, sit down with Jimmy Paul, who's a huge editorial hairdresser. Uh, he's, he does a lot with Bumble and Bumble. He's, he's fabulous. And uh, I knew a friend of mine knew him. And so I asked this friend, I said, can you please connect me to Jimmy? I would really love to take him to coffee. I have questions. So I took him to coffee and I was like, Jimmy, how do I get from where I am now in this salon to like where you are? What do I have to do to get there? And he said, you know, if you want to do what I do, then you need to be a first assistant to one of the big five hairdressers. And so um, then I started stalking people and I was like, okay, who's who's assistant, right? And so I actually ran into Garen's former assistant at like a social event and we got to talking and I was kind of looking for what was going to be next for me. And he was looking to replace himself. And so we just got to talking. One thing led to another and I ended up taking over for him. And there was, there was a lot of stuff that happened in the interim, but, but um, so I ended up starting out as, as Garen's assistant and I was terrified because he works at such a high level. And I just, it was I had worked in fashion, I thought, before I worked with him. But then we were shooting campaigns for Calvin Klein. We were shooting covers of Vogue. We were shooting with every big photographer you've ever heard of. Stephen Klein, Stephen Meisel, um, Peter Lindbergh, Merton Marcus, 
Uh, who else have we worked with? I mean, we've worked with literally everyone. Inez and Venud, um, just these huge names, giant stylists, the biggest makeup artists, um, you know, Pat McGrath, James Cagliardos, uh, Mark Carrasquillo, these, these people that are just icons in the industry. And it was, it was wonderful. It was one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever had professionally. And I'm so grateful for that experience with Garen. What was wonderful about it is that uh, I was able to, to form like a really great relationship with Garen. And, you know, he really did help guide me and he gave me a lot of wonderful opportunities. There was a there was a, uh, a time when he got stuck in Florida because of a snowstorm. They were flying back in from Florida and we had a job booked with Vogue with Patrick de Marchelier. And he called me and was like, hey, my flight is stuck. I can't make it, but we are just going to send you in. You're going to do the hair for the job. And I was like, what? And it was great. So I have, I was able to get pa pictures in Vogue with Patrick Marchelier. And Garen was like, no, this was you. You get the credits for this. And um, there was another job that came up with, which was a job with Naomi Campbell. And it was a cover for like a Portuguese fashion magazine. And, you know, he called me and said, hey, I want to put you up for this. Uh, do you want to do it? And I, you know, my stomach dropped. I was like, oh my God, it's Naomi. <laughs> and um, so, but I ended up getting to, to get a cover. My first job by myself was a cover with Naomi as a result of, of working with, with Karen and, and him, you know, giving me that. So... Uh, and what's been great is because of that experience and putting in the time, right? Like you put in the time, you're there day in and day out. And you really get to learn. Like he elevated my technique so much. I got to see firsthand how he did hair. And then I, I got to do it with him. It was always, I was always the second set of hands. And, and my job as that assistant was to know where he was going a lot of times before even he knew where he was going, right? Like come in, look at the girl's hair, look at the inspiration and go, okay, I think we're going to go here. So I'm going to pull out this set of extensions or I'm going to make sure that these wigs are ready. And okay, he's coming in, he's going to want to go here. So this is going to be, this is what the next step to that is. I need to make sure that curling irons out. I need to make sure these clips are ready. Um, so that he never had to worry about, he never actually had to think about it. He could just go into his like workflow, you know? And my job was to make sure that happened. He, and he was a mentor, is a mentor still. You know, I called him, we still talk all the time. And um, yeah, it was essentially like an apprenticeship, right? Like you go and apprentice for somebody. I look at my time with him as like my PhD. Um, cause essentially, you know, in, in the salon world, we don't, or in the, in the beauty world, we don't have traditional education, but I look at like my first five years in Albuquerque as like undergrad, my three and a half years at the salon at Cutler as my like graduate work. And then my like three and a half years with Garen as like PhD work, right. Where I like found my specialty and I trained under, somebody who had been doing it forever and was, you know, the best of the best. That's like Harvard. Yeah, you basically carved out your own college course. Yes, yes. 
because I know, like you were saying from the start, the beauty school, you were pretty much done, just doing beauty school to get through beauty school. Um, you built up a big CV working in a salon, but then you decided, right, well, I want to learn better. So how do I learn better? Well, basically, you have to drop down a few levels to go up a few levels. So I suppose where I'm going here is a, it's a serious career path you've had. You've obviously, you had the ambition and the drive and you're there where you are now. But for someone else that wanted to follow that path, because one thing that stood out that you mentioned to me and Zoe when we looked at each other, um, the mentoring, the going out, the stalking the people, um, that stuff has to be done. And people might feel awkward at first kind of reaching out to do that rather than just learning the salon. But this is the sort of stuff you did to get to where you were. So is there anything you'd look back on and change if it still meant getting to the same area here? And I suppose what were the, three biggest learning things for you that that you'd like to pass on to someone else? Okay. Um, I don't know if there's anything I would, I would change. I, um, I mean, like I said earlier, if, if I would have been like mentally ready to, to start this a little earlier, that would be one thing, but I don't think I would change a thing because it's been such a cool journey to get here. The advice that I would give people, I think we live in an age where we're flooded with information. And I think for younger hairdressers, what I've observed being out in the field is that they don't know their history, that they don't know where we came from as an industry. They don't, um, you know, there's like the... I mean, obviously, Vidal Sassoon, the Courage Sisters, Teasy Weezy. Um, it's one thing that, that like, Howard, Garrett, and Tom talk about a lot in r and Co-Education is, like, knowing your history and knowing your references. Um, knowing, uh, if you want to work in fashion, know where fashion came from. Know who, who these photographers are. Know who Avedon was. Know who Irving Penn was. Know who Helmut Newton was. Know what their work stood for and what it said. Um, know your history of hairdressers. Know who Garen is. I cannot believe how many people I, I go out into the field and people don't know who Garen is. And he's one of the most iconic hairdressers in history. And he's still alive, you know? And there's, um, Garen, DDA, Jimmy Paul, Guido, obviously, there's, um, I mean, these are just a couple. And like, what I did to get myself familiar with them is I sat down with a pile of fashion magazines, and I went through and I read the credits for every single shoot. And I wrote them down in a notebook. And then I went back with my computer and I researched these people. Um, and I went, okay, so who are they? Who are they represented by? What does their work look like? What is their, what is their style? Um, know, and know your references because that was such a big part of stepping into fashion. And that was where a big part of my education with Garen came in was he would throw out references and expect me to know them right off the bat. I remember the first one was Belle du Jour and Belle du Jour is a movie in the sixties, um, with Catherine Deneuve. And she's got this really iconic, she has these really iconic hairstyles throughout. And, um, like uh, when Madonna wore Gucci at the VMAs in 99, I believe, Garen did her hair and did this giant blonde fall that like flipped up on the ends. But it was a, it was a total reference to Belle du Jour. Um, 
And he would do that constantly on set. He would say, okay, this is, uh, you know, and he would just throw a reference out at me and I would have to know what it meant. I would have to know where it comes, where it came from, um, what the movie or the era or the artist was. Um, we do a, uh, oh God, what's her name? Um, see, so I have so many references, it's sometimes hard to um, remember them all. Um, we do a Rita Hayworth set. And, you know, knowing who Rita Hayworth is and was and what that looks like and how to get there. Um, so the biggest advice that I would give hairdressers of today is um, I think what's happened with Instagram culture is there are a select group of hairdressers that everybody's paying attention to. And I think that the, the work of these guys is is great, right? And they they understand the medium of social media. But I think hairdressers get a little limited as to what they they follow and pay attention to. And I, I realize that people like the, the Kardashians are very important in today's culture, but there are still other fashion icons that are equally as important, like uh, Linda Evangelista throughout the years. Like, why was she so important? She was, you know, the most beautiful woman in the world and the most important fashion model of the 90s and, you know, early 2000s. And know who these people are who they worked with, why they were important. If you want to work in fashion, if you don't want to work in fashion, you know, um, educate yourself on what it is that you want to do. Figure out, find somebody who's doing that thing and reach out to them and say, hey, I have a couple questions. Like, hey, how did you get where you're at? What advice would you give me? Um, my advice for anybody who wants to do what I do is be willing to put in the time and put in the work. It is not an overnight thing. And I think we, we live in a, in a generation of instant gratification and uh, younger hairdressers I've met where I've sat down and been like, cool, like you can go assist here for X amount of time, or you can go be a first assistant for about three to five years. That's usually where it's usually around three years, but sometimes it pushes to five and they're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put in time. I want it now. Um, the reason why people who are at the top are at the top is because they've got decades of experience under their belt, you know, and they've made all of those mistakes. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I've made is not properly like packing my kit. Like I got to a job once and I didn't have any hair product. I had all my tools. I had zero hair product. And I don't remember how I like wiggled it out, but I was able to go like sneak away and run to my apartment real quick and grab it. And I thought I was going to die. Like I wanted to drop through the floor. And the good thing is nobody knows that I showed up without it, but I will, I, that taught me my lesson. Like every single time I go on a job, I like triple check my kit, you know, do I have this? Do I have this? Do I have this? Is every eventuality covered? That's not a bad habit to get into, is it? No, <laughs> not. So listen, Jared, this has been amazing. Like I knew, I knew it was going to be a great episode. I did promise I'd remind you of something. So if you're okay with closing this episode on 
this note. What exactly is the story behind Wig Wednesdays? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so I would go out. <laughs> I gotta. I'm starting them again. I would when we would have a job. Garen and I would have a job. He, I would go to the wig stores in New York and find options for these looks if we didn't have the wig in his wig closet. And so I'd have to send him pictures of myself in the wigs <laughs> so that he could see how they like sat, you know, how they looked. And he, the first time I, told, I, I did one, he was like, oh my gosh, my other assistants were so pretty in these wigs. He's like, you do not look good in these wigs. <laughs> I was like, oh, but I, I, they were so embarrassing and so funny. Like I couldn't open up my camera roll without like laughing about them. And I thought it would just be kind of, um, I thought it would be fun to like put them up on my Instagram. Cause at first I was like, oh my God, if these ever get out, they're such good blackmail. And I was like, well, I should just put them out myself. <laughs> that way nobody can like hold them against me. You That's can't great. laugh at yourself like it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that was the story. It's not like that exciting, but you know, Garen's got a whole folder of pictures of me in wigs. And so <laughs> I actually went through and organized all of them into a folder in my phone. So I just keep moving one over. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> By the time you retire, you'll have a full photo album of him. Oh my gosh. But now I've got to go in because I'm not sending him to him anymore. When I go in for my own jobs, I just have to take a bunch of selfies and wigs. And luckily, the, the women, the girls who run the wig store that I primarily go to love my Wig Wednesdays. They always comment on them. They're like, they're back. They were so excited when I put one up the other day. <laughs> and I hope you're checking them in as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, Jared. Got to credit them. Got to tag them. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jared, that's been brilliant. And it's been a great story to listen to. And like delighted it's all working out for you and i suppose to many more years in the industry as well for you absolutely thank you looking forward to seeing you again somewhere in the states or maybe in europe if you're sometime in london another one of the master classes yeah. yeah any any of those definitely definitely we have um you know we are coming out with an education calendar uh every year we've got uh, we've got events that hairdressers can come to uh, we work kind of, I think it's it's classes of anywhere between 8 and 15. And you get like a lot of one-on-one experience with either myself, um, Robert Vasquez, Andrea Noir, Sarah Sloan. They're wonderful educators. Uh, you come in for that. Um, also, yeah, just follow me on Instagram. Cool. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. It was amazing. Yeah, cheers. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This was wonderful. So that was Jared Roberts, hairstylist and global artist based in New York, represented by the Wall Group and also working very closely with R&Co under the LBP brand. So now for a second part of the show, as usual, the Forest Academy webinars. So we have one coming up and it's led by Valerie Delforge. This time it's a two-part series webinar. So it's all about the salon reception. How can you build that to make it actually really effective 
and uh, high performing and also build in a way that it'll increase your revenue and not just be a part of your salon. So there's two parts to this webinar, like I was saying. The first one is July 30th. The second one is August 6th. And it's from 3 to 4 p.m. UK Ireland time or 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. US Eastern time. And so, like I said, it's led by Valerie Delforge, who you would probably know from either the Salon Owners Summit last year or um, as well her leadership masterclasses that she led through Forest Academy as well. So if you want to attend this webinar, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page in the event section, find the Forest Academy, the Salon Reception Masterclass event, click get tickets, fill in your details, and that will give you a joining link for the webinar on the day and you'll actually be signed up for the two parts so you uh, don't have to worry about that. So before we sign off we have two major announcements the first one being that we're now on Spotify. All you have to do is open your Spotify account on the free version or on the paid version search for Forest FM and there you are uh, you'll find us straight away so you can stream the podcast from there now and so the second announcement that we have is that Forest FM is nominated at the podcast awards People's Choice 2018 and so because it's a people's choice it's the first time we ask for this but if you feel like in your heart we deserve to be your people's choice uh, we would love for you to vote for us on the platform uh, voting ends on July 31st and Killian if you want to give just a kind of lowdown on how to cast your vote uh, the platform's all yours. So yeah, you can go to www.podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. And what you're going to do is you're going to vote for Forest FM, the Salon Owners podcast in two categories, people's choice and business. So how do we do this? Well, if you go to the link, just create an account and check the little box saying I am a listener you'll receive a verification code to your email and then you'll log in with that verification code and your email address and again just select Forest FM the Salon Owners podcast under the two drop down categories people's choice and business and then click save nominations so that would be amazing if we could get people to vote because it's the first time where it's not relying on judges Again, thanks so much for your continued support, for tuning in week on week. We really appreciate it. We couldn't be doing this without you guys. So if you do want to help us out a little bit, that's how you can do it. So that kind of wraps it up today for us. Uh, next week's episode will be with Sinead Carroll uh, from Events and PR, and she'll be talking about the Salon Owners Summit 2019. So make sure to tune in for that episode. If you have any feedback, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or on Stitcher. We're always looking for suggestions on how to improve the show. Otherwise, have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next Monday. All the best. <laughs>